Thank you for your worship. If you have your Bibles, we're going to get into the scripture. Thank you, worship team. If you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to Genesis. and I'm going to read one scripture uh, in chapter 32 and verse number 28. And we're going to let our kids go to Sunday school. And we'll be praying that they come back transformed as well. Amen. And every parent says amen. <laughs> can always tell when a kid gets touched by God because they are nice, sweet, and they obey. Um, <laughs> Jesus definitely helps with raising of kids. Amen. Genesis 32 and 28. If you're there, say amen. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob. Everyone say Jacob. But instead Israel, I'm going to say Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. What a powerful scripture there. Would you pray with me one last time? Father, we ask you in the name of the Lord. I loose your word to go forth, touch the, uh, the ears of the hearing of the word, let the transformation of what the life that's in the word be manifest in the lives of the hearers and the believers. I bind everything that would try to resist your word and try to destroy faith, but I loose the power and the manifestation of your spirit in this house. We loose revelation and the knowledge of who you are. God, open our eyes and let us see. Open our ears and let us, let us hear the things that we could, not, uh, we could not see or hear without you. We loose that power and we loose that authority. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Continuing my series this morning called Turning Points. And last week, if you remember or if you were not here, let me tell you that when you realize that the battle is not yours, but the battle belongs to God, it's a turning point in your life. Because... We live in a world that's going the wrong direction. We live in a world that's contrary to the things of God. It's called a post-Christian age. And we see that every foundation that uh, has been laid for uh, generations past for society to be built upon is being pulled out from underneath us one at a time. In fact, I was reading a, 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 just an article last night. Uh, this was taken in 2018, this, this article from Barner Group, so I would think that it's probably uh, has changed a little bit since then. But Gen Z, which is identified by being born in 19, I believe they said 1999 and beyond. That may not be right, but I think that's what the article said. G- half of Gen Zers in 2018 don't believe that your gender is given to you at birth. This is where we are. I'm telling you, we're at a turning point in this society where we're about to go off a cliff as a society. We're, about, we're, we're seeing the repercussions all around us uh, because this is what sin does. Sin always destroys. Sin always breaks down. Sin always causes the worst in humanity to come to the surface. But in the midst of that, God is reaching his hand down and he's reaching and he's calling people by name and saying, come to me, hear my voice, follow me. And he's, he's, he's making turning points in the lives of believers and the lives of people. And he's reaching down where, where something happens that's not of this earth. It's supernatural and it causes you to turn and to be transformed by his power. The first thing is, I want you to realize this morning that God, he's got his hand upon you and the battle belongs to him. We try to carry all this stuff and this weight, and I preached a message about this last Sunday, but 
If you can just realize you can lay the weights down at the foot of the cross and you can, you, you can come to Christ and you can believe no matter what storm you're facing, no matter what battle you're going through, no matter what's raging, no matter what sickness the name, the name of the sickness is called, it doesn't matter. The battle is the Lord's and it belongs to Him. And when you understand that, it takes so much weight off your shoulders and so much things. It causes you to turn your sorrow from down upon the earth to the storm, to up in the heavens where you see that God sits above your storm and above your sickness and above your trial and above your pain because after all God made everything and his promise is this one day I'm going to wipe away every tear from your eyes talking about a turning point I watch people just get stuck in this where they feel like it's always their battle they carry the load they can never truly trust God and watch it slowly Uh, just kind of break them. This morning, I want to take you a different direction. I want to talk to you about identity. Identity is so important in how you see yourself. You see, self-identity is the one thing that many people struggle with. They don't really like a whole lot about themselves. I, I think of the Apostle Paul who, he had to have felt this way because several times in Scripture he just penned In me, there's no good thing. There's nothing good here. So who are you? Who do you belong? Where do you belong? And why are you on the earth? What is your value? To many people, they don't know who they are, and their mind is filled with confusion and self-doubt and anxieties and depression. They look at the world, and they try to find out where can I get my identity from. But they, for most people, they never find that place where they really fit. They never uh, seem to find that place where they can find their identity. It's a, uh, there's a lack of, of security and a lack of identity, and it breeds insecurity, and it causes people to reach out in unhealthy ways. Well, I'm just going to turn to drugs or I'm just going to turn to alcohol or I'm just going to turn to something. I just need something to cope because I don't feel like I fit in anywhere. For others, they turn to success, popularity, status, prosperity, accomplishments, blessings, materialism, um, desperate to prove to themselves that they have some kind of value. And for others, it's both. And the whole time, while humanity is doing this, while we're trying to go out finding some value in ourselves, there's a still small voice whispering to you. That voice comes from heaven. Oh, you can't hear it when everyone else is screaming, the life is yelling. But when you get alone at night, when you get all by yourself, when the world quiets down, that still small voice is whispering. Why don't you look up here at heaven? Why don't you look to me? See, God is saying, if you're looking for who you are, well, then you got to look at me because I'm your creator. I made you. I'm the one that's going to give you that true identity that you can find your purpose in. Your identity is in the divine calling and the reason I made you and molded you and fashioned you. Look up to me because I have the answer that you've been looking for. I want to remind you this morning that you have been made in the image of God. He formed you and fashioned you from the very 
very beginning we read in the book of Genesis, he got his hands involved. He reached down to the dirt and he mold and he, he fashioned the dirt and then he blew the breath of life into that, into that, um, that fashioned dirt and he became a living soul. And I want you to know that is what God does for every one of us. He's formed and fashioned you. His hands have been upon you from the beginning and they're still there reaching for you today. Jeremiah 1 and 5, it says, Before I formed thee in thy belly, I knew thee. I knew thee. It's an intimate knowledge. In fact, before you were put in your mother's womb and you were beginning the, the growth process in the womb, he said, I knew you. I knew who you are. I saw you. I understood who you are. I, uh, it's, it's a knowledge that's connected to a special kind of love and affection. I I loved you even before you were born. I, I, I saw you. I, I was there. You, you, you caused my heart, God is saying. You caused my heart to, uh, to jump with joy. I knew who you were. So before you were in your belly, I knew you. And before you came forth of the womb, I sanctified thee. Before you had your birthday, your first birthday, your actual original birthday, God said, I sanctified you. I consecrated you. I, I set you apart unto me. I, I love how the, um, one of the translations says it, the Amplified reads it this way. Before you were born, I consecrated you to myself as my own. This is what God did. And then it goes on and it says, And I adorn, or I ordain thee a, pre, a prophet unto the nations. Now, this was a specific word for the prophet Jeremiah. And uh, God is speaking to one man here and he's saying, I, I, I called you, I ordained you, I purpose for you to be a prophet unto the nations. You have a divine purpose, a divine calling. I, I want you to know this morning, God doesn't make junk. And God doesn't make accidents. God didn't make some people and say, well, I don't have any idea what to do with him. You see, the Lord, your creator, has shown us in the life of Jeremiah that if God had a purpose for this man, then God has a purpose for you. God has ordained you with a divine calling and a divine purpose. He knows exactly who you are. And he knows exactly why he made you. For after all, he is your creator. The problem is that most people in this world are so disconnected from their God-given identity. They have a twisted image of themselves because they see a reflection of the world. They, they see these things and they judge themselves among themselves. And the Bible tells us it's not wise. And they create this twisted perspective of themselves in their own mind. It's... Kind of like if you go to a fun house, have you ever went in there and looked at those mirrors that are all twisted and they, they make you short or they make you tall or they make a distort, they distort your appearances. And this is what the world does as we look at the world's mirror to see our own identity. Distort your appearance, it distorts who you are. It causes you for many to totally sever from their calling of God. Total severing from that identity. For others, it just seems like that connection to that calling and that identity is it's, it's distant. It's afar off. Maybe they've seen it. Maybe they've touched it. But it's not close. It's afar. It's, it seems like there's a gulf between them 
and that calling and that identity. It's like they're living their life here and on the outskirts uh, every once in a while they have a brush with that calling. Maybe it came from their grandparents who prayed for them and brought them to church. Maybe it came from their parents because their parents had a great relationship with God. An aunt, an uncle, a friend, a mentor, somebody. But they lacked themselves a direct connection with God. Uh, and, and they're just not sure. And This is exactly where we find Jacob in Genesis 28. I mean, I think about this. The grandson of Abraham. <laughs> Abraham, the father of the faithful. Abraham, the one that is called a friend of God. And, and Abraham, who counseled with God over what would happen upon the earth with Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, the legends abound. The stories are numberless. And, and uh, he, Jacob, had heard so many times how his grandfather had walked with God. How his grandfather knew God. How his grandfather talked with God face to face. He heard about the promise that his grandfather had. And how his grandfather held on to the promise until his father uh, Isaac was born. And then look at his father. His father was literally the promised child. I mean, that one that Abraham held on to was his father. Yeah, daddy came from heaven. Daddy was the, the fulfillment of the miraculous promise. Daddy was the one that everyone was looking to. But now there's Jacob. and He's in the family and he hears the stories. But he feels a little disconnected. He feels a little bit on the outside. I want you to read in Genesis 17 and 7. This is what God spoke to Abraham. And so we see in this, in this passage that there's a direct connection between the promise of Abraham and to his grandson Jacob. He says, I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed, and thee, and thee in their generation for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. It's going to go from Abraham to Isaac, Isaac to Jacob, Jacob to uh, Joseph and the twelve tribes and so forth. Even today, the Bible says we are children of Abraham through the faith that God has given us. I want you to know we are connected to the promise. But Jacob, for whatever reason, he felt disconnected from the promise. And I think that's how it is for some. They feel disconnected. They feel like uh, somehow there's been a misstep. They've come to church and they've seen others be blessed and others be called. They've heard the stories of others that have miracles and others that have heard divine words from God. And they have been around it, but they feel disconnected from it in their own life. It's a misstep between the promise and himself. It seems like there's a gulf of separation. He seemed disconnected. I mean, internally, he felt the stirring. Even as a baby, you, you read the story how he fought with his brother inside his mother's womb, how he, he was the heel grabber and he tried to stop Esau from being born first. There was something stirring inside him from the beginning, hungering for more. He knew there was something more than this world, that the things of this world could not fulfill him and would not sustain him. He had a fight within him and he was willing to fight for that something, but he just didn't know what it was. He, he fought for the birthright and he fought for the blessing, but he wasn't quite sure what it all meant. 
In Genesis 28 and 12, it says this, and he dreamed. And he dreamed. And behold, a ladder was set on the earth, and at the top of it reached to the heavens, and behold, the angels of God ascended and descended upon it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest to thee, I will give it unto your seed. You see, Jacob was in a storm here in his life. I mean, I mean, he deceived his father, you know. He pretended to be his oldest brother Esau so he could get the blessing. Well, the problem was when his father found out what had happened, he was very, you know, let's just say Jacob wasn't on his good side right then. And when Esau found out, well, I mean, Esau was a hunter. He was a mighty man with the, with the bow. I'm sure he had large biceps. And uh, he was very upset. And Esau vowed this. He said, Jacob, I vow that I'm going to kill you. <laughs> I mean, that's not a vow you want anyone to make about yourself, especially a brother who's much bigger than you and knows how to use weapons, you know. <laughs> All Jacob knew how to do was make stew. And uh, <laughs> Jacob thought, I have no match for Esau, so I'm just going to run. Have you ever got yourself in a storm? You just didn't know what to do. You just ran. I'm just going to run. I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to move to a new city. I'm going to, I'm going to get a new job. I'm going to disconnect from my old friends. I'm going to go. I'm just going to run. And this is what Jacob, Jacob decided to do. I'm just going to leave all by himself. I'm going to go to my mother's country. I'm going to go where she's from. Uh, there has to be a connection there. Maybe I can find something there that's meaningful. Maybe I can go into this strange land uh, that my mother was raised in and I can find my identity here. But, but he, had no, he had no real connections. He had no real understanding. He just felt lost and alone. And, and it, was, it was similar what we experienced in the physical to what he felt in the spiritual. He felt alone with no real identity. Didn't know where he fit. And so he runs and he's going towards his mother's land, which is a, a several-day trip. And he stops her at a place called Bethel. And this is where he lays down and he falls asleep. And then he begins to just dream. A ladder from heaven to earth. Angels ascending and descending. The Lord was standing at the top of the ladder. You see, the Lord, Jacob was physically asleep, but the Lord was challenging him. Jacob. Open your spiritual eyes. I want to show you something. You see, God is stretching his understanding. Come on, Jacob, look. Look at me. See what's happening. There's a close connection between heaven and earth. There's a ladder. There's a connection. My angels are going forth and they're bringing my promises and my purposes down to the earth. They are sent. I have sent them. Get your eyes off yourself and look up at me. I am in control. Come on, Jacob. Look to heaven. Look what you're missing. Enlarge your vision. I am the Lord God of your of your grandfather I am the Lord God of your father but I'm also your God the one that made you and every divine promise I gave them I'm giving you open your eyes Jacob and realize I'm in control because I'm your God I'm telling you it was a revelation 
It was a specific promise for Jacob. He was lying there on the ground and God said, the ground you lie, you're lying upon, I'm giving it to you and to your children. I know you're not married. I know you have no kids, but I'm greater than the present. I see the future and it all belongs to you. You see, Jacob had heard the promises of his grandfather and his father. But he never felt like it was personal. And God comes along and God says, I want it to be personal with you, Jacob. I want you to take it in your heart. I want you to consume it. I want you to understand this is not just about daddy and granddad. This is about you. I am your God. I molded you. I saw you when you were in your mother's womb. And I want to bridge that divide between you and your promise. And I want to I make a way where you can connect it. Because you felt it all along. But you've been looking too long at the earth. you got to get your eyes on heaven. Because this is where the promise is going to come from. See, here's the voice of God. But he's got to believe it. He's got to take a hold of it. You know, sometimes I, I, I see in the lives of Christians that we, we have that moment or that spark where God speaks to us. And we hear the voice of God. And we hear the promise. Maybe we're reading the scripture and it just jumps out at us. Yes, yes, that's what I need. And in that moment we're excited and we, we know it's God. We know he's speaking to us. It fits our life. It fits our situation. But it, it seems like sometimes we let the process of time just rip it out of our hands. We allow the next storm that comes to diminish its value. You see, God gives the promise, but it's up to us to grab a hold of it. And God is saying to Jacob, listen, this is for you. I, I want you to have it, but you have got to grab a hold of it for yourself. It's not enough for your grandfather to do it or your father to do it. You must grab a hold of it yourself, Jacob. You must understand this is personal. It's your land and your kids and, and your children. And God goes on and says, your kids are going to be like the dust of the earth. Understand, Jacob, you're not the end of the lineage. You're just the beginning. Genesis 28 and 15, and behold, I... Look what God tells him. Behold... I am with you and will keep you in all places wherever you go. And I will bring thee again back to this land. I know you're going. I know what's going to happen before you get there. But I want you to know, Jacob, I'm going to bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done that which I have spoken of thee. I've given you some promises. They're not going to be fulfilled right this second. You're going on a journey. But I want you to know I'm going to be with you until the promises come to pass. I want to look at your neighbor. I want you to look at your neighbor and I want you to say this. God's going to do it. And he's never going to leave you until the promises come to pass. I mean, that is, wow. Wow. Sometimes when life goes upside down and everything looks bleak. you got to stand on things like that. No, no. He spoke to me at that altar. And I may be going through a storm right now, but he's going to be with me and he's going to bring me back to Bethel, to that place of consecration and that place of spiritual awakening until the promise that he gave me comes to pass. Wow, what a promise. 
You see, Jacob awoke because <laughs> he was dreaming. I guess he had to put Jacob to sleep because Jacob would never sit still long enough to listen. I don't know. But he, he was surprised by the dream. And he said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I knew it not. I, I had no idea God was in this place. It wasn't obvious. He didn't know God was there. You see, he possessed too small of an image of God. God was at Father's house. But I've left Father's house. I didn't know God was here. I knew God was in that city, in that town, in that village, but I didn't know he would come here. You see, sometimes this is how we live our life, as long as I'm in the church service and as long as the music team's up front and God's moving and the Spirit's flowing and the Holy Ghost is touching. Well, I know God's there, but when I go home and I go, go back to my life and I go back to my problems and I, I have to face the things at work, I, I didn't realize God is also there. Come on, Jacob, open your eyes. You see, Jacob thought there's no way God could be in this storm. I mean, I've done all this all myself. How could God be here in this trouble after what I did to daddy and after what I did to my brother in this moment of confusion, in this time of uncertainty, when I got all of my questions, I feel the struggle, I don't know where I belong, and I seem to have just messed everything up, and so I'm just running, running for my life. How could you be here, God, right here with me in this place when I'm in this state the way I am? I mean, Jacob's mind was, I'm just going to blaze a trail myself. I'm going to do it by myself. I'm just going to go do something. That fight and that zeal and that call of God was in him. But he had no idea what to do with it or what it was all about. And so he was just going to blaze a trail of glory himself, you know. <laughs> but this was a new revelation. God's here. He's with me. But the clouds are dark and the storm's still raging and my brother's still after me. And yet God's here, and furthermore, God said he's going to go with me no matter what I face, no matter what comes, and he's going to bring me back. You see, he had never contemplated this before, but this was a new reality. God is everywhere. He's with me. I can't run from him. I can't hide from him. Wherever I go, God's there, and fear struck him. Wow. Is God really that powerful? Is this really the gate of heaven? God ascends and descends his promises and his purposes. Look at verse 20 in Genesis 28. And Jacob vowed a vow and he said this. And, and he's speaking kind of to nobody, but he's speaking to God. He's kind of just speaking to himself, really. If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on. So notice his fears. He doesn't know what tomorrow holds. He doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't even know if he'll have bread to eat. To, 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 and that he won't starve to death. Or will he have clothes. If God will just do these basic things. Verse 21. So that I come again to my father's house in peace. Not war. And definitely not dead. Then. <laughs> then. Then. Then, that's a powerful word, then. God, if you will really do these things, then you're going to be the Lord my God. 
In other words, you're not the Lord my God right now. But if you do these things, then you shall be the Lord my God. You see, Jacob makes a vow and he's going to test the Lord. And sometimes we do that, don't we? Prove yourself to me, God. You gave me this word and I'm going to say this. If you protect me and keep me and bring me back, then I'm going to allow you to be the God of my life. I'm going to allow you to be the one that I worship. I'll give you all of my heart. I won't hold back that 10% or 20%. I will give it all to you. You see, up until this point, Jacob has always just depended on self. I'm going to make my way. I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to manipulate my brother. I'm going to make the stew. I'm going to go into my father's house. I'm going to do what I need and what I want and what I feel. But God is trying to mold him and shape him and, and cause some turning points in his life because the calling that's in him can't manifest until the things inside Jacob also turn. And God is calling him to heaven because in heaven you're going to find the answers. In From Christ you're going to find the reason and the things that you've always felt but not understood. And the Lord is saying, Jacob, stop depending on yourself and start looking to me. I will will take you and I will bring you and Jacob is saying okay that's my vow if you do what you say then I'll live for you we don't have time to go into the 20 years that follows this but 20 years later I would just say this God kept his side of the agreement God protected and God blessed Jacob and in Genesis 31 and 31, it's an interesting, I won't read it, but it's an interesting scripture. The Lord appears to Jacob. And this is what the Lord says. I am the God of Bethel. I am the God to whom you vowed that vow. You see, God remembers. God wrote it down. God knows when you vow vows to him. God knows when you're at that moment, maybe a brokenness, and you pledge some things to God. He hears it, and he writes it down. Jacob, I'm the God that you met in that dream that night. I made you some promises, but you made me some promises, and I remember them. And I want you to know it's time to go back to your father's house. And so Jacob gathers his family. He left alone, and now he's got a whole entourage. Wives and kids and servants and animals and just all kinds of things. It's the blessings of God. And he's going back to his father's country. And he gets word that his brother Esau is, is heading towards him with 400 men. And I'm sure Jacob didn't think, wow, he's got a large welcoming committee. <laughs> I guess my brother wants to introduce me to all his friends. There's only one reason you go get 400 men. And it's not to welcome, it's to destroy. Esau gathered his army. The army he's been building for 20 years because he knew the day that Jacob comes back is the day Jacob's going to meet his death. And so Jacob is brought right back to that first fear. What started 20 years ago. The whole reason he left, the whole reason he was running. He'd push it out of his mind. He had other things to think about while he was in the country, in his mother's country. He had to deal with Laban and all Laban's ways. But now he's back and here he is, his brother's coming and he, he doesn't know what to do. 
I'm going to tell you, sometimes those fears rise back up in your life. You know, sometimes we just push them aside and I'm going to go focus on something else for a while. I'm going to go think about this or think about that. It's like you took a trash bag and you threw it in the trash bag, but you still got the trash bag over your shoulder. It's still there. You just are holding, you know, the end of the trash bag's tight enough it can't come out. But every once in a while the grip will slip and those fears, life will produce the circumstances that cause those fears to come right back to the surface. And so you're right where you began. And this is Jacob, right where he began. All of his insecurities, all of his fears, all of his, all of the things. But the difference this time was God had proven himself. He knew who God was. He's not coming into this thing just with the God of Abraham and Isaac. No. God had proven himself for 20 years. God had been with him in the strange land. God had blessed him. God had turned things upside down. God had turned what seemed like trials and famine into blessing. God had kept his hand upon him and protected him. And so he's got this experience with God he didn't have 20 years ago. But he still has this insecurities and this misunderstanding. God, what are you doing with me? Why? Why is this still happening? Why didn't you deal with Esau before I came? Remember we said come back with peace and so he leaves his family and he leaves his servants and he leaves everything and he goes alone and he says I'm going to go meet with God myself you know sometimes my friend that's what you got to do you got to say you know what the pastor can't preach a good enough message and the worship team can't sing a good enough song and my friend can't give me a good enough word of encouragement and I've just got to go and be alone with God just me and God and I've got to wrestle some things and I've got to be honest with God and I need to open my heart and I need to put myself and become vulnerable before the Lord and so Jacob goes before the Lord and I don't know how it starts I don't know how it began but somehow he begins to wrestle with this man and really he was wrestling with himself he was wrestling with the identity and the calling and the struggle they had always felt and it manifested himself as he wrestled with this man that turned out to be an angel of the Lord <laughs> have you ever wrestled with God God says do this and you're like well you knew it was the voice of God but then you're like I don't know if it really was God you know it's probably the coffee I drank there was something in it you start wrestling with God in your mind. What God is saying. The word of God jumps out at you and you start saying, well, you know, that was for that generation. It's not for me. You start wrestling with God. As God calls you to make a turn in your life. Let this be a pivot point. Let this, let this turn and change you. Let this let this. You're going this way, but let this be a turning point where you go this way. This was Jacob. Genesis 32 and 24, and Jacob was left alone, and there he wrestled with a man until the breaking of the day. I mean, he wrestled all night long. I, I don't know. Have you ever wrestled somebody? I mean, when you really wrestle on somebody, it's two or three minutes and you're wore out. Here's Jacob all night long wrestling with this angel. Verse 25, when he saw that he prevailed not against him, that the fight in Jacob was so strong that he would not stop. He would not give up. I mean, it's not as if the angel couldn't have won. I mean, this was the Lord we're talking about. But it was that Jacob wouldn't give up. It's that fight. It's that endurance. 
I think of the scripture that says, he that endureth to the end will be saved. There's that endurance inside of Jacob. And, and so because he wouldn't stop, he wouldn't stop fighting or wrestling. The Bible says he reached down and he just touched his thigh. And in one moment, one touch, his thigh came out of joint. <laughs> now there's pain. Now there's trouble. He's limping. <laughs> but he's determined, I'm not letting you go. I'm not letting you go. What was it inside of Jacob that caused him to continue? Just dragging his leg behind, his, his leg out of joint. I mean, it would have been natural for him to fall to the ground and just hold his thigh and scream out in pain. But he wouldn't. He wouldn't. In verse 26, the angel says, now let me go for the day broke, breaketh. But Jacob says, I will not let you go until you bless me. There's something inside of me that says I'm going to hold on and I'm going to fight and I'm going to wrestle and I'm going to war because you've given me a promise, God, and I'm not letting go until you bless me. See, by this time, Jacob understand I can't do it. I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. I can't manipulate enough. I can't deceive enough. I need you, God. I need the promise that you gave me to come to pass. I'm going to stand on every promise you gave me. You vowed some things to me, and you brought me this far. But I need the fullness of the promise. I need you to reach down and not just touch my thigh. I need you to touch my soul. I need you to do what only you can do. You know, sometimes I can relate with Jacob. I so can. I just want the promises, God. I read it in the Bible. I see it in, the, I, I see it in past generations. I read books about the, the, the power of God that flooded down in, in supernatural ways. The day of Pentecost is a great example. Azusa Street and other places. And I say, God, I just want it in my life. I want it now. I get sick and tired of the world we're a part of. And I just want the reality of the touch of God that would transform minds and hearts and souls. And sometimes it does feel like a wrestling match. And sometimes it does seem like you've got to have a determination. But I'm going to join the chorus of Jacob this morning. And I'm going to say, God, I'm not letting go until you bless us. Until you bless this generation. Until there's a revival that sweeps into this, into this house. And into, into this city. And into our families and among our kids. God, I just want your blessing. It's promised in your word. Let it come to pass. I'm going to tell you this morning, God is not a liar. He cannot lie. Because he is truth. And if he gave you promises, then those promises will come to pass. And Jacob is saying this, God, you spoke it through my grandpa, and he told me. God, you spoke it through my father, and he told me. Now, God, you spoke it to me at Bethel, and now I'm standing on the promise. Standing on the promise. Jacob is saying, I'm tired of almost having all of the blessing. I'm tired of just being on the outskirts, disconnected from it. I'm tired of it just being beyond my reach where I can see it, but it's like a facade. I'm trying to grab it, and it just kind of disappears. It moves beyond what my fingertips can touch. No, I will not let you go, angel. I will not until you do what you said. Bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. Now, I don't know what you think of when you think of blessings. I think of a lot of things. <laughs> Health and prosperity. 
um, favor with people. Wonderful children that honor their father. It's a good one. Put that on the list, God. Um, <laughs> Jacob's calling for a blessing. And this is what the angel of the Lord does. Verse 27. What is your name? Now, it's not like God doesn't know his name. God knows how many hairs are on every person's head this morning. Or lack thereof. Or how many of you lost yesterday, like in my case, you know. He knows these things. He knows Jacob's name. He knew him from the womb. See, the question wasn't for informational purposes. Tell me your name and for me. The question was really this. What do you call yourself? How do you see yourself? Well, he said, Jacob. Well, Jacob is the identity. Jacob means deceiver, manipulator, failure. You see, you can never step into that calling and purpose and destiny that God has for you as long as your eyes are upon yourself and all you can see is failure. How are you going to step into the divine calling if all you can see is your mess-ups and, and, and the things that you have done and all the times you messed up and the Lord is saying, no, your name shall no longer be called Jacob. You're not a failure. You're not a deceiver. You're not a manipulator. But the way I see you, your name is Israel. You know what Israel means, verse 28? You're a prince that has power with God and with men. My friends, this is what God is saying to Jacob. You want to step in the fullness of your blessing? Then there has to be a turning point in how you see yourself. You have to have a new identity when you look in the mirror. You can't walk through life seeing yourself as a failure and as a mistake and think that you're going to walk in the fullness of the calling. It can't happen. But I've got a new name for you. I've called you victory. I've called you head and not to tail. I said you're above and not beneath. I said you're Israel and you've got power with me and with people around you. And when you look in that mirror, I want you to see Israel, not Jacob. I want you to see one that's a prince and a child of God, not a one that's cast away and cast aside I want to see you connected on a very personal level to me and not not to the things that the how the world has tried to define you I'm going to tell you, my friend, this is the doorway into the prophetic. This is how you go to that place of blessing that God has and has promised you. It's through the doorway of identity. You've got to stop seeing yourself as a failure and as a mistake. And you've got to rise up and say, no, I'm a child of God. He made me. He formed me. He fashioned me. He died for me. And he's called me by name out of darkness and into this marvelous light. Rejoice not against me, O oh my enemy, for when I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, he will be a light unto me. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. God is saying, you have felt a stirring in your spirit. I'm not understood. You don't know how to walk to that door. But I'm putting a turning point before you. You've got to see you the way I see you. You've got to call yourself by the name I call you by. Look at Hosea 12 and 3. Hosea looks back at this. And he, he remarks on it in his prophetic anointing. 
Speaking of Jacob, he says, in the womb, he took his brother by the heel. And in his manhood, he strove with God. He strove with an angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel, and there God spoke with us. The doorway of your prophetic blessing is absolutely through your identity. Jacob prevailed because when he left that angel that day, he walked away with a new identity. It was a turning point. This was an identity that came from heaven. I don't know how many times Esau had gave him, he belittled him, told him he was nothing, the second born. I don't know how many times the world had told him that he could be nothing. He was nobody. I don't know how many times his own failures and his own mistakes reflected back to him. He was nothing. He was just a mistake. But God said, I've got a blessing for you. But it begins with identity. I want you to know your identity comes from God and God alone. Not the world. Not your parents. Not your siblings. Not your mistakes. Your identity comes from Christ and from Christ alone. I think we're too bound by our past so many times. Our past pains. Our past hurts. Our past mistakes. Our past shames. Conforming to this world, surrendering to the sinful nature that we all have within us. And it, it taints our identity of how we see ourselves. We see ourselves based on group identities and based on our own biases, based on our own perspectives, based on, on this or that. And we put ourselves, our identity inside this little box and it becomes this confining space that imprisons us. But I want you to know, God wants to strip all of that away this morning. He wants, to, he wants you to be broken and helpless before him. And he wants you to fall on your face and say, okay, God, I surrender all that I am before you. I, I'm tired of wrestling. I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of the stirring. And I just want you to bless me this morning. I want you to touch me and change my mind and change my identity so I can walk out of here refreshed in mind, spirit, and soul. Here's the key. And what I'm teaching and what I'm preaching, my friend, this is... This is what God's done in my life. If I measure myself by my mistakes and my failures, then I'm nothing. And I couldn't stand before you this morning. I would see myself as so small and so little and so insignificant. But somewhere along the way, you got to fall on your face and fall at the foot of the cross. And you got to understand that the blood of Jesus Christ truly covers our mistakes and our failures and our sins. And we got to turn towards God and away from ego. Ego, where it's all about me. It's my failures or my victories. It's my righteousness or my unrighteousness. It's my holiness or my own. No, no, no. It's none of that. I just come to God helpless and broken. I'm nothing. And I look at the cross. You see, I no longer have to prove myself to show that I'm worthy to preach the gospel or I'm worthy to live for God or that I'm worthy of your respect. No, 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 no. I don't have to prove my, to anyone else or to myself. I don't have to protect the image that I've made and craftily concealed so everyone thinks good of me. All of that comes cross crushing down and cast to the side because when transformation truly comes and becomes a reality in your life, my friend, you're going to turn your eyes from yourself and to the Lord and it's Him alone. And when you focus 
focus on him, it becomes life consuming. The brightness of Christ begins to take over everything else around you. And the things that you used to identify with, you no longer can. Because sin that once deceived you and false identities that once attached to you, they're cast down and cast aside in the presence of Christ. You see, when you come to Jesus and you're truly broken in repentance over your sin, I, 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 I talk about, I'm coming to a close, but I, and musicians can come. I'm, I, I think about this a lot, and I've said this a lot, but just read the Sermon on the Mount. Just read the Beatitudes. It's the attitude in which we need to come to God, and it's a broken attitude. Praying and crying out to Him. You remember when you were desperate for salvation? When you realized that you truly were going to hell if you didn't get Christ in your life? I mean, that's a scary moment. I mean, I thought everything was good. I thought, you know, you live this life and then there's nothing. But when you realize that there's a God that made heaven and earth and there's a real heaven and a real hell, then you realize the weight of your own sin and desperate for salvation. At that moment that you feel small, empty, and of little value. But here's the thing. In that moment on your knees, on the ground, before God. Wiping tears away from your eyes. You realize something else. That the God of heaven. The one that made you. Is the one that left the throne of heaven. And came down and took on that cross. He left the glory of heaven and all the angels. He came to earth and took upon your shame and your sins. Your brokenness, your guilt. And he nailed them all to the cross. And you realize that God is the one that did that. Then you can truly see for the first time. The value that you truly possess. You mean I'm that valuable God that you would come to a cross? You mean I'm that valuable that you would die for me? You mean I'm that valuable that you would shed your blood? You mean I'm that valuable that you would take my sins and my past decisions? Everything that I want, that, 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 everything that I've done, everything that I'm so ashamed of. That turning point when you realize Christ took it from you. You are Israel now. You are no longer Jacob. You have a call of God on your life. You're no longer a deceiver. You have a divine purpose that I've called you to go forth in. You are no longer a failure. As you stand, I want to close with one last expression that the Apostle Paul used. Apostle Paul, the one who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. The Apostle Paul that had all these revelations direct from God. The Apostle Paul, when he began to measure himself and his own value, began to look at Peter and Matthew and the other apostles. He penned, I am least of all the apostles. In fact, because I persecuted the church, I'm not even worthy. 
be called an apostle. And the devil will come along and he'll say, that's right, you're not worthy, Paul. That's right, you might as well give it up. You might as well backslide. You might as well throw in the towel. Look at what you've done. But Paul looked at the cross. <laughs> he makes this statement. Nevertheless, I am what I am. You see, it becomes that turning point when you realize I don't have to protect my image. I don't have to protect my value. I don't have to prove myself because Christ did it all. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. My sins are so great. But nevertheless, through the blood of Christ, I am what I am. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to envision something right now. All of your failures and all of your mistakes and all your insecurities. And when I want you to take them like a towel and just kind of put it in your hand, like bunch it together in a ball. And I want you just metaphorically to cast it aside and make this declaration. I am what I am because of you, Christ. I am what I am. No devil, rejoice not against me. Oh, I'm going to rise back up. You're going to be a light to me one more time. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost reaching for you. The devil has lied to somebody. He's trying to break you. He's trying to tell you you're nothing. But I am what I am. I am what I am because Christ paid that price. The Lord's been speaking to you this morning. I open these altars up. Would you come to the altar? Would you find a place to pray this morning? Maybe at your seat. Just Call upon the Lord. It would only be right, though, for us to touch God before we leave. We've worshiped together. You've heard the word of God. But now, just you and Lord, just for a couple moments, why don't you let God touch your identity and be a turning moment in your life before you leave this building? If you need a prayer, we'll pray for you this morning. If you need the Holy Ghost, we'll pray for you this morning. If you need encouragement, we'll pray for you this morning. If you need healing, we'll pray for you this morning. The Lord is in this house.
feet is shaking, even when I'm shaking. Having done all I can do since it was said, I will worship. Your way. 
Around you, within 